Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeru. Hey everybody, boy, have I got a good episode for you this week. So my guest is Lord Victor Adabawali, and he's the founder and chair of health tech company Visionable. And they uh, have got an online video collaboration platform which enables clinicians to more easily connect to each other and their patients with all the imaging and data that they need at their fingertips so that they can deliver the best care wherever and whenever it's needed. So Lord Victor Adabawali was born 21st of July 1962. He's the chief or was the chief executive of social care enterprise Turning Point. Um, one of the first to become a people's peer, uh, commander of the Order of the British Empire from the year 2000 New Year Honours for services to the New Deal, the unemployed and homeless young people. He's one of the first group of people to be appointed as people's peers and he's created a life peer on the 30th of June 2001, taking the title Baron Adabawali. He was listed as one of the 25 most influential people in housing policy over the past 25 years by the Housing Professionals magazine Inside Housing. And the HSJ reckoned him to be the 97th most influential person in the English National Health Service in 2015. So Lord Adabawali has had an incredible background uh, in the public sector and service to others. He's now an entrepreneur with Visionable and is doing some amazing things in health tech. We talk in this podcast about all sorts of things from company values and how to stick to them and the ROI that comes with them. We even talk about the history of our national health services and what other countries around the world might learn from that. We talk about technology. We talk about some of the pathways that, that Visionable's changing and how Lord Adebowali expects that to change in future. We talk about equity and access to healthcare. We talk about it going digital. We'll talk about loads of different stuff. Um, really, really interesting and awesome episode this week. So I hope you all enjoy it. Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing all right, James. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You're very, very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today? I'm speaking from my little study in my house in the in London. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, Lovely. I'm lucky. I've got a, I've got a house on the ground floor with a garden in there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Whereabouts in London are you? I'm in East London. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. The stylish East. <laughs> the stylish East, indeed. Indeed. It definitely suits you. Um, so, Lord Adabwali, what we do on this podcast to kick off is that I get you to tell your story. Now, you're obviously somebody who's got an incredibly fascinating background. You've covered so much of health care and then into health technology and entrepreneurship. And I'm sure all of our listeners would love to hear your story, my friend. So by all means, do kick us off. Well, I'm, all, I'm not very good at telling my story because I'm not sure <laughs> I understand it myself. I mean, in a nutshell, um, my mum was a nurse. Uh, my dad, who sadly passed away, um, was well lots of things he tried to be a doctor um both of them arrived in this country and there are no dogs no irish no blacks yeah. era. um and i was born in 1962 i always remember i always remind myself that black people got the vote in um in in america in 1964 and um, wow. in 64 the bristol bus boycotts took place 
in Bristol, where else? Um, yeah. Where there was a uh, a, a um, the, the black bus drivers uh, uh, the, there was a, went on strike because basically they um, they weren't allowed to get jobs. Well, black blacks black people went on strike in Bristol because they weren't allowed to get jobs with the local bus company um, because the people who worked for the bus company didn't want their didn't want to, to work with black people and didn't want mm. their wives and girlfriends. You know, to be on the bus. So that was born. I was born in that era, basically. Wow. Uh, my mum was a nurse um, for forty years with the NHS. I guess she's my inspiration for a lot of what I do. Um, I was brought up, uh, I think it's fair to say, in poverty, pretty much. But lots of. I mean, I was. I never went hungry. Well, never went un, uh, badly clothed. My, my parents are proud people, and uh, mm. they taught us that. Um, uh, that that actually you know you owed it to yourself and your fellow man and woman to get yourself educated uh, to look good when you leave the house mm. <laughs> um, the, the usual stuff that you know immigrant parents do actually um, mm. they work very hard um, so yeah my story is one of um, you know trying to do your best basically uh, <laughs> I came out I um, went into uh, well, God, how, how long have you got? You know, I'm 57, but basically, <laughs> my, basically, I went into housing. Um, I got interested in, in housing. I had the balloon debate with myself. You know, you can do a lot of things in life, um, but actually, I decided that that I wanted to work on Maslow's hierarchies so of things that really mattered. Yeah, so housing and, and health. Um, uh, I have been a chief exec for a long time, um, and I'm now. The chair of an executive chair of Visionable um, Global, um, formerly um, the chief executive turning point, which provided health and social care to about 100,000 people in dreams of locations. And I was on the board of NHS England for six years. Um, and know. I'm a crossbench member of the House of Lords, but don't hold that against me. <laughs> uh, we certainly yeah. won't. Yeah, but my life story is not particularly. Yeah, but there are people who've done far more than me in less time. Yeah, I mean, you, you're incredibly, you're incredibly humble, obviously. But there's, I mean, there's obviously there's loads of stuff that that I am super interested in here, and I think, mm-hmm. I think the main, th- well, one of the main things is obviously seeing your your mum as a nurse and having that inspiration and and them instilling all those values of you know, hard work and presentability and, and, you know, going forwards in life and all the rest of it, that combined with your then desire and need to, to almost, you know, give back and serve a life of purpose in housing, alcohol recovery, homelessness, mm-hmm. you know, services for people, all those different things. And then obviously coming into technology, mm. my question is, has all of that been from an underlying desire to serve? And and I suppose yeah. that is interesting because then it comes to technology, which hopefully the conclusion is that technology is great. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it ha- I mean, yeah, I'm a very simple person, to be honest. I don't... I, you know what's the point in leaving the the world the earth worse than you found it? Yeah. What what is the point, right? I mean, there's lots of ways you can make money. I I, I just think, you know, on my last breath, I'd like to know that I'd left the world just a tiny bit, just a teeny weeny bit better than I found it. You know, from for my yeah. fellow human beings and family yeah. and all that, it just seems to me to be an obviously an obvious thing to do. Why would you want to yeah. do anything else? 
You know, it just yeah. seems I, I can't understand any other way of viewing the purpose of one's existence. <laughs> to be honest, I really I struggle with it, and perhaps that's a yeah. naive thing, but I, I genuinely do. I think that you know we are here to make the world better as a result of mm. our existence, than as opposed to worse as a result of our existence. Um, yeah. So that's been my driving, my driving. Um, when people ask me, you know, how did you make it? I'm not sure I have made it anyway. And, and, I, and I, I genuinely don't, I don't know. But, and I think that um, I always reply by saying, you know, lots of self-doubt and ambition. Mm. If you don't have any self-doubt, you're a sociopath. <laughs> Indeed. It, it's interesting when you say self-doubt as well, because actually I think that's more manifesting itself in, in, in yourself as humility. You know, you've got the humility to appreciate where you are and to understand perhaps where you need to be better and where you need to learn. And, and you know, you've achieved yeah. so much that obviously having that ability to, to be self-critical and, and figure out what the next thing is to do, along with, as you say, that ambition I suppose those two things together have, have, have done you very well because of what you've achieved. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you know, it, it is true. You know, I am, I am uh, quite driven by my own ignorance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I just, I just know that, you know, you, there's always somebody cleverer than you. There's always somebody. And actually it's just, it, I don't, perhaps some people might say I give myself a hard time, but I don't think I do. I'm, I'm very sort of, I'm curious about mm. life and I'm curious about people and I'm curious about ideas. And I just think, you know, as long as you're learning, you're living. You know what? It's <laughs> such a good point. And I think so many, so many guests I've had on this podcast actually have, have mentioned a really similar thing and it's becoming a bit of a thread that, that first of all, curiosity, but then also addiction to learning. I think people, people that are mm. curious and do want to learn all the time will inevitably increase mm. how much knowledge they have. They'll inevitably increase their opportunity. Mm. And I think, Obviously, yeah. when you combine that with a passion to serve and a passion to help people, it leads people down the route that you've gone. And so I suppose I where so. we are in the story then in terms of you know housing, alcohol recovery, homelessness, all these things that you've been involved mm -hmm. in and helped with, you then obviously turned to technology. Yeah. Why was that? What, what was it about technology that attracted you as, as being the next bit that could help people? Apart from the fact that I'm a lifelong scientist. There you go. That's a, that's a good, that's a <laughs> no, good reason to begin with. No, no, what it, no, no. I'll tell you. I'll start at the at the top. You know, I've come to the conclusion that uh, I came to the conclusion, but I certainly come to the conclusion in health that there are only three challenges facing healthcare, pretty much in most first world countries, um, and that is, and they are equity. Uh, the the, the um, if you live in London, then you'll know that. Well, you may know that uh, the active life expectancy i.e. the yeah. life expectancy of someone remaining active, of a woman embarking and dagging them, is 55, right? In Richmond-upon-Thames, it's over yeah. 70. Now, that's not sustainable. It's also immoral. It's not what the mm. NHS was designed for. Um, but secondly, the second challenge is access. So access is basically about service design. It's about workforce design. It's about how you commission services. Um, and the third challenge is digital. Now, the reason why it's in that order is that anybody who uses digital or buys digital, or if the digital doesn't help you with the first two, why are you buying it? Yeah. Right? So I, I see digital as, as a critical response to the first two challenges. Um, and the more, I mean, I, I was, as I say, I'm curious. I learned things, I learned things by through curiosity and asking questions and, 
I just became aware that, you know, there were people who had complex cancers and what have you, and accessing the right collection of people to look at their case in MDTs was actually quite tricky because the, the right people are often busy, they're not always in the right location, they have, you have to gather them together, you have to give them all the same information, and all that yeah. stuff became really clear to me that there needed to be an answer. And um, it's a case of readiness meeting opportunity. You know, I was, I was very um, well, blessed, I guess, and lucky to meet Alan Lowe, who's the chief executive of, of um, Visionable, and we decided to go on this journey together of, of both understanding, learning, and building um, Visionable. And we're not there yet, but we, I'm optimistic yeah. we're on our way. So tell me about Visionable then. So tell me about what the idea is, what the problem is you're solving, how you guys came about founding mm-hmm. the company mm-hmm. and that kind of early founder mm-hmm. journey, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, 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 um, the founder journey, we were, uh, uh, we took on um, uh, a, a company, a dig- a, well, technology really. We bought the company. Um, uh, and we transferred it to America, and the technology had already had a lot of work uh, done. It's a very stable technology, but what it didn't have is a, is a clear purpose and a clear right. vision for its use. Uh, visionable, you know, we have 28 patents associated with our visual technology, right. and the, 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 the problem we're trying to solve is, is the first two problems, actually, equity mm. and access in healthcare. We know... That um, that if we can bring the the system, the health system, the NHS or any care system, to the patient, we know we improve something called positive value transfer. I.e., the amount of the amount of, of, of places you have to go to get a service um, uh, is reduced. We know that we can we can also uh, solve one of the other the challenges related to access, which is the availability of specialists. So Visionable is is building, we will have a kind of, um, we call it a control center, but it's not really that. Um, but it's a center where effectively any any clinician in the world can provide services to any patient oh, in, the, in the world if they're available via, via our technology. And the thing about our technology is that it has some um, unique features which aren't available to other other technologies. Um, so there are there are some things which just um, which we which our technology can do as a, as, a, as an advanced collaboration platform, video collaboration platform that others can't do. So unlimited participants, I can have anything up to about I can have a thousand people on one mm-hmm. screen basically, and I can talk to them all, and they can. Um, We've got multiple camera feeds. Uh, we can share feeds from the clinical tech devices. It's, it's reliable and secure. You can record meetings, the high-quality images, which are basically um, uh, uh, they, they, what you see down the microscope is pretty much what you see mm-hmm. on the screen. Um, we can display on an any unlimited number of screens simultaneously, uh, integrated SMS function. But the real thing is about the values of the business which are around people. We, we see our culture and our values as an asset in, it, in itself and that we are very focused on putting the clinician at the center of what we do so the patient gets a better service. If the clinicians, if we can work with clinicians and they can work with us and we can develop services that they can use, then we know, because we've proven it, 
that the patient gets a better service. And obviously with... That's what we're about. Nice. And, and obviously, what what better time in a way, although it's, it's, it's uncomfortable using the word better time at, at the minute with COVID-19, but, you know, with all the challenges that have been presented in terms of patients having to be you know, or unable to be geographically in certain places. And we've seen, you know, in general, the value proposition of telemedicine just being thrust upon us. And all of a sudden, you know, all the telemedicine companies have seen a huge demand. It seems like a, a, an interesting time for you guys to be, to be developing this, right? Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's, I mean, it's really tragic. Um, we, I mean, I've looked upon the issue of the, the COVID crisis with the real, it, you know, it's just, mm. it's awful. <laughs> it's just, it's just awful. And, and it's, what it's highlighted is the, is the kind of the discrepancy that the whole inequity issue in healthcare has been exacerbated throughout this, this crisis. So the te- technology response has to be able to help. So we've been, we've been inundated. Um, uh, we've been, we work in over a hundred NHS uh, locations. Oh, nice. um, we've seen um, a 2,384 percent increase in the average number of daily meetings. I've just got that. I've just looked it up uh, in the ten weeks after March 2020. Uh, we have worked particularly. I mean, one of the things that I'm most proud of is is the work we've done with Wi-Fi Spark to provide um, uh, access for patients in in. Who can't who can't see their um, who can't see their their loved ones in the time of crisis mm. because there's no visits, you know. And I think generally in healthcare, there's this problem about you know you go into hospital and you are you are isolated effectively from your from your kith and kin because often there isn't a telephone available. You can't use your mobile, and that in itself adds to the distress. So we've been working with Wi-Fi Spark. We've developed a, a very easy-to-use uh, tablet, which press at a button, you can talk to anybody you like. Um, it works well with the hospital technologies and the way hospitals work. And, you know, it's really, it's really um, increasing the confidence in the care uh, for patients. And that's, I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as well as our increase in our use in MDTs yeah. and uh, uh, clinics and what have you. One thing I, I definitely want to <laughs> highlight here, and and congratulations, by the way, because you know those numbers are incredible. Particularly the number I want to highlight, which is the fact that you're you're in over a hundred NHS locations. That is not an easy feat. We are. That is not an easy no. thing to do. <laughs> we we talk on this podcast all the time. But scale mm. in the NHS is what's often difficult because it, it it's easier yeah. to build a solution, a lo- you know, a local solution for a local problem when you know the infrastructure. Yeah. But as, as you and I both know, to scale something in the NHS is much more difficult because the hospital down the road can have it a is. completely different management structure, admin system, software, yeah. information yeah. governance requirements. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult yeah. to negotiate that. But obviously to get yourself yeah. into 100 NHS locations is commendable at the very least and and almost impossible <laughs> in the in the most right so well, I, I guess what's your we, secret we, yeah. well as i say we work we work with the clinicians we don't you know we don't believe in moving fast and breaking yeah. things actually we, we 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 believe in working with the people who, who we need to 
who, who we, whose lives we need to make better and building a relationship with them and, and taking them, not just flogging them the, 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 the software or flogging them the visionable, flogging them the transformation see, as well. Yeah. Um, and actually helping them to make the change because technology ultimately isn't about no. technology. It's about yeah. people. Completely agree. And in healthcare, it's about people and patients and it's about helping people think about what they're doing differently um, with technology as a partner in mm. that process. Um, rather than sort of, you know, on Monday you've got to press a yeah. different button. And I've been, you know, I've been involved like you in, in healthcare for a while, and you know, I've seen the money that's that's been wasted um, on trying to get things done really quickly, but without the support of the people actually who are going to yeah. use the stuff. And it and it's it's yeah. not right. It's a waste of it's a waste of public money. And you know, as they say, the, the future's already here. It's just not well distributed. And as you've quite rightly pointed that's out, exactly right. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Um, is, is that is that focus on adoption? We talk about this on the podcast all the time, that actually you can have the mm-hmm. best product on the planet. It does not mean that it gets a free ride into being procured no. or distributed no. or bought no. or any of those things. The no. key is in no. the adoption of this technology yeah. and there are yeah. there are countries around the world yeah. that really focus on that and you know even government some countries that, that from a government funding perspective actually you know really heavily resource the handholding to adopt technology with with humans on the ground to guide this in i think that's true i mean you've got to be careful because you know um the the center can either lead or it can follow or it can get yeah. in the way and I think the center needs to understand, just like we, has to understand what the needs of the um, what the needs yeah. of, of the users are going to be, and and create the right co-production and structures yeah. so that you know if something gets to scale, it's because actually it's useful. It's it's actually being used, yeah. and it's getting it's getting the support as opposed to something that somebody's managed to persuade <laughs> them at the top is going to sit, you know, make them look yeah. good or whatever, and then it gets pushed yeah. down the line, and and people will use it because they've yeah. got no choice because it's the man up the yeah. line, right? But but actually, as soon as the as soon as possible, they dump it or they don't use it or you know, and that's another waste of money. So it's it's it is about leadership mm. ultimately, and it's about addressing the right things and taking people with you, um, as opposed to you know. Um, that's what the, the best one of the best definitions of leadership I've come across is leadership is taking people from where they are to where they haven't nice. been yet, and it, and it is that kind of journey that you need to take people on, and it's not easy. Uh, you need patience, you need resilience, you need to focus on the end. You know, the, the, you need to keep your eyes on the prize, mm. um, which is making a difference for patients and clinicians, not just making a quick buck. And talking about leadership, then. Uh, as uh, your your chair and co-founder right of visionable yep and so very much in a leadership position and so wh- have have you faced any specific leadership challenges in visionable so far <laughs> well it's a rhetorical question because you're selling to the nhs by the way yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes yes well i think every day i mean if you are a leader then in a sense you are accepting a challenge every day it is the definition of challenge. Yeah, you're a firefighter as a leader, definitely. Uh, Yeah, and I always, you know, I always think that the definition that works for me is that the difference between leadership and management is that leadership involves an emotional investment in the results. Yeah, that's why why leaders will not be 
taken over by computers mm. any, anytime soon. And so, yeah, every day has been a challenge for us. Um, building a company uh, from scratch, pretty much, in this country, um, maintaining relationships with our key suppliers, um, uh, but understanding the, the NHS, coping with the frustration, building company values and um, uh, uh, building company values and uh, culture, which I think is, is very important, um, is very important to me and very important to the business. And, and you know, so, yeah, that, there's the challenge of just maintaining alignment between strategy, values, um, and um, strategy, uh, well, vision, strategy, um, the values and operations is a constant, constant challenge. You know, it's like sailing, yeah. you're constantly tacking, constantly yeah. making. And you know, it's, it's so interesting, yeah. you know, as soon as you mentioned culture and values, I wrote down here the question, is it difficult maintaining those culture and values with growing the company? Do those two things dovetail nicely or do they often uh, conflict? It, it is. I mean, yeah. I, I always say that values are not, it's like they're not a static yeah. thing. It's not about you, you. You know, they weren't written by by the by me and, and Alan yeah. um, uh, to sort of uh, you know in in a in a room somewhere. Uh, values are basically they drive your culture. Culture is how you do things yeah. around here. So you know, it's about creating the right. Um, it's about creating the right set yeah. of values in line with the people that actually um, work yeah. with you. And in that sense, it's always mm. a challenge. You know, it's like if you go, I mean, I don't go sailing, but if, well, I've been sailing once, but if you go sailing, then you know that you are, um, the wind's never steady. Mm. You know, you're constantly tacking, changing, you know, direction, but but against a set of value. Your values are your compass. Yeah. They create the thing that actually, you know, gives you a di- gives you direction. And when you have to make decisions, you check yeah. against them, you know, uh, so that you know that you're not you're building something genuine, genuinely yeah. valuable, as opposed to uh, just going whenever. Mm. And and I think I know that some of the relationships we have, um, both with our staff and our uh, clients, are because of our values. Yeah. Uh, people want to work with us because of what we stand for. You know, it's, it's interesting. That I, I completely agree. And I, I think it is, it is always a challenge. And I think that is the role of the leader. And I, I quite like what you said there, that the leadership contains a level of emotional attachment as well. And I think Ooh. that's where you kind of draw the energy to push against that kind of path of least, res- or you could go down the path of least resistance and turn into, you know, a, a company that is purely focused on profit and all the rest of it. But I think, as you say, it's that, it's that emotional pull as a leader that you want to build something for the right reasons and in the right way and that you're willing yeah. to sacrifice some speed or some resource or something for the benefit of creating something that you are proud of in those cultures and values. And Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think that you, without values, you, you're sacrificing everything. Yeah. Basically, yeah, not, I, yeah. You know. Uh, why uh, else um, are you doing it? Yeah. You, I, you, I, why else are you doing it? This is healthcare. Yeah. You know, this is about people's lives. Yeah. So if there is, if, there is, if, you, if you're not a values-driven business in healthcare, then then what are you playing what are at? You? Yeah, no, I right? completely agree. What are you playing? What are you playing at? I mean, you're a doctor. You have to take the Hippocratic yeah. oath. 
We didn't just. I mean, technically, we, we just, don't, but um, <laughs> but yes, in theory. Or is that right? Or yeah, you don't right? actually. You don't. Yeah, you do, funny that, right? You don't actually ever stand there unless I um, was particularly hungover and didn't turn up this day. But you don't stand there with your hand on a book and, and one in the air and, and recite any oaths or, or or anything like that. It's strange. That's, that's <laughs> I always thought you. I was did. really looking forward I to it as well. You did actually. No, I, I thought the US. you did, but the point. I think the point is that there is a value yeah. um, uh, driver behind. You know your ethics as yeah. a doctor. It's not just about how clever yeah, you are. I can't exactly, be because <laughs> um, it's about the values that, that 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 actually drive you to become a doctor yeah. in the first place, and making sure that there are some things you will do and some things you won't. Yeah, and you know, someone someone as passionate, I think, about this is um, there's someone called Max Parmentier. He's the founder and CEO of a company called Birdie, who are operating in the elderly care space. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's very, I think they're a certified B Corp um, and you know, all yes. of his employees have, you know, they do charity work within hours. They do all these different things where, where, you know, he wanted to build something in this way. And he came on this podcast and was talking very passionately about all those different things, but you can sense and you can feel how much that drives him and therefore his business, because he knows that he can go to sleep every night, knowing that even in the process, he's making the world a better place, which I think is the key. It's not like, oh, let me Absolutely. exit for a billion and then I'll change the world. It's like, no, no, actually, no, I'm going to feel good every no, day until no, that. You because know? you won't. Yeah, yeah. And also, the fact of the matter is, we're only as good as our last client interaction. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah. we have hundreds and thousands of them every day. And I want to know that my, that my team, actually, in those interactions, have a set of values that allow them to genuinely engage in building relationships. Yeah. Um, and without that, then they're, they're yeah. lost. You know, they, they are lost. And, you know, nobody, I don't, you know, if you're in the care business or the health business, would you really want your care in the hands of some a company with no, with no yeah, values absolutely. and no culture? Absolutely. I don't think so. And intelligent people and, and the, the the people that work for Visionable, my team Visionable, are blooming smart. I mean, we, they are a lot smarter yeah. than me. Intelligent people want to work for the values. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. They just do. Yeah. And they'll go as soon as they think that that's not, that's not available. They'll leave. That intelligent people um, desire yeah. meaning in their lives. Yeah. Back to Maslow. <laughs> there you go. Maslow's hierarchy. Absolutely. Indeed. And it, and it makes, it makes all the difference. For, uh, yeah, it does. Because you, you you give people the freedom to to enjoy their process, you give them to yeah, the freedom yeah. to enjoy their day to day as much as they might do about how much money goes in the bank yes. at the end and how much they can then give and, and, and all to influence it, you know. and to influence the direction of yeah. the business. In fact, today we've got a values workshop. That nice. The whole team will be discussing how we are how we are um, how we are working with our values in real time. Lovely. And there'll be examples given, and people will be congratulated oh. and worked with. So it's, a, it's an ongoing process. It's not something that we do on the side. It's part of business nice. as usual. And we build our values in the same way that we build the business. And we know that it has it has values. Very, very we know inspiring. That people want to work with us because of it. Genuinely yeah. very inspiring. I'm sure there are many people listening that, that run businesses that, that might, might, might make a little change on the back of that. So, Well, it's tricky, you see, because I know I've talked to entrepreneurs who... who, who they, they think it's a waste of time. Yeah. Why are people talking about their feelings? Yeah. Why are people just get, get, it, get out <laughs> there and sell stuff? Well, you know, um, it's a bit like the tortoise and the hare, yep. you know? The long-term ROI of doing this, yeah. Basically, yeah. And the short-term, you can anybody can flog yep. stuff. But 
And I can tell you now, the person who, who has the values driving their flogging will do better yeah. in the short term. Basically and in sales in healthcare, I would argue. Um, Basically, exactly. yeah. So the next thing that I want to talk about is technology improving care pathways. I mean, this is kind of the business that you're in with Visionable, right? Obviously, with mm, your platform, mm, you're mm, looking to smooth mm. out care pathways. You're looking to make them more efficient. Yeah. You're looking to, therefore, drop the cost of the NHS. And that's obviously the value proposition that you go in with to sell to them. So I yeah. guess w- where where we are now in terms of the, the technology coming in is one thing. But how do you think that mm. technology is going to impact that delivery of healthcare in the next, you know, five to 10 years? How do you think pathways are going to change? How how do you see that? Well, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be massive. I think, so let's think about stroke, for instance, you know, somebody has a stroke, um, the need, somebody needs to make a decision about thrombolization within a certain time. Otherwise, basically it's lights out Mm -hmm. um, or or severe damage, uh, you know, if, if, if they're lucky. And, you know, the access to stroke specialists might be an issue. It's certainly an issue in this country in terms of just the numbers, yeah. where they are, all that sort of stuff. So the sorts of technology that is available now, and this is without 5G, means that you can call an ambulance, get a paramedic who's trained to your door. That person has um, a high-end uh, video audio attached to them. The patient can be seen by a specialist who, who's not there. The, the questions can be asked, the, um, the right diagnostics can be taken, and the decision can be made um, there and then or on the way to the hospital, yeah. right? So the treatment, not at the hospital, but on the way to it, changes, changes where you get the treatment or in their own home. Um, it means that uh, uh, doctors uh, can, and this isn't necessarily visionable technology, but we're certainly working with people who, who can do this, you know, their rounds are done on in virtual reality, so they yep. can see everybody. They haven't they haven't left. Yep. Uh, you know they're in one place. Everybody everybody can see them. They're asking questions. They're making decisions. And the whole team's on the on on the round, but may not be located. The patient may be at home, or maybe in or maybe in a uh, a maybe in a hospital. Um, it means that you can. We have a hundred thousand shortfall. I mean, this is an issue around the world: uh, access to specialists and and um, and recruitment. Um, so it's about utilisation, you know. And so, if you happen to be, and we've done this, you know, in India, and you need an operation, and you've got the machine that can operate you, but you haven't got the surgeon. Mm-hmm. That surgeon could be in yeah. London, and you need the technology that can broadcast reliably and uh, securely using satellite. Uh, to India or Kenya, you know, uh, in order to do that. So in, I think in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see massive shifts um, in in where healthcare, where healthcare happens. But I think the kind of, um, how can I put it? Now, I don't want to use the word virtualization, but the notion that location yeah. isn't where healthcare isn't as important as um as sort of place yeah. and structure and uh, bringing the health system to the patient. So we, we have, a, you know, the one case that we, is a woman, uh, we, she's, got, she's got a single parent, five kids, uh, needs to go to a clinic every, on a regular basis because of her condition, uh, but, she's, but she works, she has to slap the kids all the way to the clinic, then she has to get treatment, it's expensive, time-consuming, doesn't do her health any good mentally or physically, and she's able to see all her 
clinical team in her own front room and look at her her, her, um, her images. She's part of the team making decisions about her treatment. She hasn't left yeah, the house. That's amazing. That kind of thing um, with wearables attached um, mean that people, that healthcare becomes ubiquitous and available to everybody, regardless of, of their of their status in life. And that the system, instead of uh, just buying places, buildings, is investing in infrastructure, training, development, and relationships. So I think there's, I'd say three things really about the future of healthcare. One, it's going to be relational, not just transactional, because the technology will enable that to happen. And it, I know some people think, well, actually, the opposite is the case. No, I think it will increase the relational ability because people will demand it. Um, secondly, it will be about the, the, the positive value transfer, meaning the service enabling you to get as much as possible from one interaction as opposed to several different interactions with different placed people. And three, um, utilization of healthcare professionals uh, will be digitally mm-hmm. driven so that we gain the best use out of them um, wherever they are in the world, actually. Um, I, I can see that being uh, the future and, and actually hopefully um, reducing the inequity and access issues. I mean, yesterday, was it Google launched uh, balloons over, over remote parts of Kenya so that people can receive um, the Wi-Fi? I have not seen that, but I'll look that up. Oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely right. happening. And I'm actually, you know, places like Africa, India, where they don't have legacy infrastructure, I can see some of this stuff accelerating faster than in places where yeah. they do, where there's oft, often a political uh, resistance to actually saying, you know, we might have it legacy, but you know what? Mm. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> uh, we have to disinvest. Yeah. So I think, I think those sorts of um, uh, issues will become really apparent and i want visionable to be in the forefront of that alongside our partners and one i suppose almost penultimate question from me would be about Mm. that inequity inequality and obviously Mm. we're 10 years on from the marmot review we we still see that inequality i mean do you think technology is going to be a big part in us perhaps rethinking our approach to social determinants? Do you think technology is going to help us address that inequality? And it's interesting because I've actually had two conversations on this in the last 48 hours with completely different people about this, yeah. this fact that there's a, there's a global conversation about this, which is that obviously with new technology, you know, is this going to be unfairly represented in the the more wealthy countries than not? And, and the, there is an argument to say yes. There is also an argument to say no, because where there's perhaps less regulation, it allows those 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 technologies to be deployed in places like rural India and Africa, and we've seen you know yeah. Babylon in Rwanda yeah. and all these different things. But obviously, there's the UK yeah. conversation as well, which is probably more kind of on your radar. Yes. And I think, yeah, do, do do we need yes. to rethink our approach to social determinants with technology? Perhaps. Well, I I, I think we're going to have to. I don't think it's a case of a yeah. choice. I think we're going to have to. Um, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, um, the inverse care law, the law that states that those people in need of health and social care. Uh, the most tend to get the least is very very expensive. Yeah. You know, in this country, we invented the NHS because partly the cost of not having healthcare yeah, for, good point. for people who are working um, was too great. Not just for those people, but for the for, for, for their bosses as well. I think COVID has really highlighted the the inequity mm. issue 
And I know, because in my other hat, I, I happen to be the chair of the NHS Confederation, which is the Confederation of Healthcare Leaders in England, um, and with partners, partners in Northern Ireland and Wales, that it's on the top three issues of healthcare leaders in, in the UK now. Um, equity, inequity is critical. And it's the measure, it's the thing that the, the, the rule by which we'll measure um, all initiatives, uh, policy, political, technical, strategic now, you know, does it, does it actually help uh, decrease inequity? Because if it doesn't, their cost and and it's and it's mitigating against the purpose of the healthcare system and just there are people who think well you know um a poor system a system for the poor means a poor system i i often i remind them of the beginnings of the nhs the nhs was not started by people as clever as me mm-hmm. and you <laughs> or as or as um as lucky either to mm-hmm. be honest i don't consider myself i consider myself more lucky than clever um it was started by working class people in a village in Tredega, or poor people. And Nye Bevan went to Tredega, where he was from, saw what they'd built, which was a, a, a health co-op that was free. Everybody contributed, everybody got free care. And he said, I'm going to Tredegaize the healthcare system. Now, the, the immediate impact of the NHS was the improvement in life expectancy for working class people. Mm. And it was designed for working class people, and and as a result, the middle class people benefited. So, yeah. so if you build, we build for the poor. Actually, the rich benefit, and they do, and we do benefit to this day. We benefit, we benefit from a system designed by poor people, yeah. um, for poor people. And so, you know, if you if you if you start with inequity as your goal, and dealing with that. It's not just poor people that benefit. Everybody yeah. benefits. Yeah. And, you know, obviously from, from your perspective, it's really nice to be part of that from so many different angles, obviously with what you're doing for the NHS, with what you have done previously in things like housing and also now from what you're doing in technology and entrepreneurship. It's an amazing, I suppose, oh. vantage points that you that you have on, on all these issues. And I suppose the... The, the fact that you get to go home every night and knowing that you, you've done something to help is 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 wonderful, quite frankly. And you, you keep that ability, which is which is really nice. Well, I'm very lucky. You know, I am yeah. lucky. Any uh, um, of the people who you know who deny that they're lucky for managed to. I work with a great yeah. team. It's team. Yeah. You know, it's team visionable. It is not team. Yeah. <laughs> There's no I in team. You know, I, I I work with a fantastic team, and I I just give credit for them every opportunity I can. You know. Alan and, um, and and Donna and Shazia, we, we we've just got a great team of people who are committed to the to the vision Lovely. and to the values of the business. And you know, I bask in their, their <laughs> reflected light. To be honest, I, you know, I genuinely do. So it's not. Um, you sound like a great you know, boss. I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Well, I don't know whether you, know, you have to ask the people I work with whether I'm a great boss or not. But I, but I try to add, I try to add value. Nice, you know. And I try, I, I either lead or I follow or I get out of the way. Lovely. You know? And and I think that people deserve that respect if they're if they're on the front line doing the work day in day out. They deserve they deserve your respect for what. Could they do. not and, agree and, more. And you deserve them, and they deserve you to think. You know, are you adding value? And if you're not, then. Perhaps it's time to absolutely, do one. absolutely. Um, 
Lord Adwala, basically what the way that we end these podcasts is I well, I'm gonna ask you one final question, which is uh-huh. that we have a, a huge we're lucky enough to have a huge range of people that listen to this podcast, from clinicians to entrepreneurs to people that work at health tech companies to investors to people in corporates. Lots of different people in the health tech space listen to this podcast. And I suppose mm-hmm. my my final question is, do you have any asks of our audience based on what you're doing at Visionable or indeed any final thoughts that you would li- like to leave our audience with? And I guess I'll just hand it over to you to, to close out our oh, podcast. Gosh. gosh. Well, you know, Team Visionable isn't just about my team. It's your team as well. So join us. You know, get in touch, learn about what we're doing, um, work with us. We're not, we're not, um, we're not a closed business. We're an open business. So, if you if you like what we're doing and you like our vision, help us. And it's not just money; it's expertise, it's skill, it's it's supporting in 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 what we're doing. So that that that's the first thing I'd, I'd like to say. Um, and if you're a health system leader out there, and this, you know, give us a call because we'd like to talk to you. Um, it's not. Uh, it's not, it's not just about flocking stuff. It's about understanding your needs. And if you share our values, then we can talk. Um, I think the future, the future of healthcare is very much bound to the future of digital and technology. And it's, it's so important that we keep, we keep the two things connected and that um, technology has a purpose and it's not just um, bright lights and flash buttons, and it's not just about making a few people wealthy. It's about it's about building a better world. So if we can do that together, then then we're on our we're on our way. So any team visionable people that are listening, can I just thank you? Um, uh, this is not an easy journey. You know, I make it we make it sound easy, and we talk about it on podcasts like this, but it's not without risk, and it's not without real effort on your part. And I just want to say thank you to you. Because without you, I wouldn't have the opportunity to have a nice chat with James, <laughs> um, and the future for the business would not be looking as good as it does. Um, I'm blessed to be working with you, and I hope you feel the same about me. <laughs> Some of you might be spitting your coffee now. I'm going. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, but I genuinely feel lucky to be working with you. Um, uh, to John in America, Dustin and Eric, you, you are just the coolest people I've had the privilege to meet in a mm. long time. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's it from me. I don't, I don't really uh, want to bang on. Um, hopefully people understand uh, what it is that, um, that I'm about and what we're about. Um, I suppose one of the questions that intrigued me a bit, and I thought you were going to ask, is there, is, there aren't that many black leaders mm. in digital anything mm. actually and i i am curious as to why that is and it worries me because what i do know is that uh, diverse teams make better decisions it's not just what i know it's what the research says so some if there aren't if there are, if, if if we're not supporting or investing in bme led businesses and diverse teams i think that one of the questions i'd like to leave people with is, is why because there's two problems with that one is the next big thing we might be missing because of prejudice or just a blind spot and that seems to be a shame you know and we're not investing in the best ways of making credible decisions so 
I'm just curious about mm. that, I guess. Why that Absolutely. Is. And for anybody that is, uh, you know, interested in those issues, they can go back and listen to the podcast that I did with Sam Shah. I don't know if you know Sam. I do know Sam. Yeah, I yeah do know so Sam. I, I did an episode yeah. with Sam where we talked about this in quite a lot of detail and, and you know, a lot of institutionalized racism in, in health care, even, uh, let alone health tech. But mm. Yeah, we definitely mm. covered um, covered a lot of those issues, and I think um, you're absolutely right to highlight it. I think you know, as a as a, as a black leader yourself, and I I can appreciate it. I've I've I'm mixed race, and Shut I've, I've right. dealt with yeah. this kind of conflict even within my own body of the guilt yeah. and the privilege and the uh, and, and all the rest of it. And it's difficult to know what I'm allowed to feel and what I'm not allowed to feel, and and what I am. You're allowed it's, to it's, feel it's, anything. It's, it's strange. It's a crazy time. Um, I think you're allowed to feel anything you like. I think that I think it's the not feeling that worries yeah. me. I think I think the cutting off of feeling and the cutting off of uh, thinking about what those feelings yeah. mean is is the problem. I think you're allowed to feel anything you yeah. like. In fact, I'd encourage you to feel feel stuff. It's it's the not feeling and the not then thinking about well why I do why do I feel yeah. that what does it mean yeah and turning that into those thoughts into thoughts and then those thoughts into yeah. that and that's about. the bit right and I think that's where Sam and I have got to now which is you know the conversations that we're having and the the, the things that we're a part of as a result of those of, of that podcast and the opportunities that come to us they have to be you know grounded in what are the actions now we've talked about a lot of the theory we 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 want to move it to actions well I'm very clear yeah, I'm very clear. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you know, as, you, as people call me, yeah, now, I'd like to, I'd like to see more investors think about mm. this um, realistically and, and creatively yeah. because I think they're missing a trick. Um, uh, and uh, you know, and it's not about numbers; it's about where black people are in the system in terms of um, yeah. uh, uh, power, control over strategy, practice, policy, that kind of thing. So I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, I think there's a conversation to be had with 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 investors who drive, often drive um, the market. I completely in, agree. In technology, um, but I also think there's there's more to be done by the likes of you, I guess, and the, to highlight the issue, yeah, and and make it discussable. You know, the future is decided by the things that we do discuss, not the things that we yes, don't. Yes, a very good point. Or rather, or rather, sometimes it's the other way around. <laughs> it's each decided by the things that we don't yeah. discuss, not the things that we do. See what I mean? I'm definitely um, going to link you into a conversation that I'm in with Sam. There's an email chain of um, some some exciting stuff that I think would be great to to get you a part of. Um, so I'll definitely link you into that. Um, but but listen, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you've got to go. Literally, Not well, now. two minutes yeah, ago, minutes you had to ago. go. <laughs> um, but listen, uh, Lord Abawali, thank you so much for coming onto the Health Tech Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, James. It's been a delight. Bye bye. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.